Hey, well, welcome. Great to see you. So uh, I'm so delighted that you're here. My name is uh, Ash, that is Rod, and uh, we're going to be speaking out of Nehemiah chapter 5 today. Wanted to welcome everybody that's new. If you're uh, new to the journey, new to church, we love that you're here. Uh, we're just a bunch of people trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. Sometimes we don't get that right all the time. And so anyway, if you're invited, we just love that you're here. If you're exploring faith, figuring that out, you're new to church, it's awesome that you're here. Love to meet you afterwards. So uh, immediately afterwards, we're going to have, if you have any questions, if you're new, you've been coming here forever, we have uh, just questions answered out there. I'll be over there, uh, other pastors there. So uh, you want to ask us anything about anything, you're more than welcome to do that. So I'd uh, love to see you afterwards. So anyway, in just a moment, you want to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 5, Nehemiah chapter 5, or of course, you can be looking on the screens there, and I'm going to be reading to you from Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14 to verse 19. If you want to stand to your feet in honor of God's word, stand to your feet, we're going to read the scriptures. Nehemiah chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, he says, For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine, besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I didn't act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing. Even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands, the provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry, And every 10 days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet, I refused to claim the governor's allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. And remember, oh my God, all that I've done for these people. And bless me for, if you want to sit down. Father, thank you for your word. And again, we pray that you would speak to us. We are glad to be here. We want to make much of you, make much of your name. We thank you that you are good, that you are great, that you are God, that there is no one like you. I pray that you would speak to us and we would hear things that we need to hear. I pray, Father, that you would have your way within us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Nehemiah here is a man who experiences unbelievable, immense, crazy, wild success in his life. And I want to talk to you about how is it that you deal with success? How is it you deal with the promotion? How is it you deal with popularity? Nehemiah here was a cupbearer to the king there of Persia, had this posh, unbelievable gig there working for the government there in the palace. And what happens was God called him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So he's all about rebuilding the walls. But the day comes when Nehemiah is promoted to be the governor. Promoted to be the governor, at least for 12 years then, he's the governor. So imagine all the perks, all the privilege, all the popularity, all the stuff that comes with that now being the governor. And so Nehemiah now is a a story of incredible success. And he's going to teach us now, centuries later, how is it that you deal with success? 
You look at athletes, you look at businessmen, you look at politicians, and you look in our culture how people, how success can ruin them, can destroy them. So Nehemiah has this unique vision, this dream, this mission that God gave him. Like all of you here, you know, God really wants to give you a mission, a dream, a vision. And some of you, it's like you got it. Like you got it and you're clear on that and you're running with it. You're taking steps toward that, what God has called you. For others of you, maybe you haven't quite figured it out. Maybe it's kind of hazy. Maybe you're unsure. Maybe you feel like, well, maybe for the other people here, but I don't even feel like God has given me, given me something to do. I'm not even clear on that. But with Nehemiah, what we're going to see here is he is wildly successful. And what he did is called to rebuild the wall that has not been rebuilt for 150 years. And in 52 days, Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. There is no one like Nehemiah. I mean, Nehemiah is like a rock star. He's a hero. He has rebuilt the walls, did something that hasn't been done in 150 years, and he did it in 52 days. So now God fulfilled the dream. God fulfilled the vision. God fulfilled the the mission of his life there. And in Nehemiah chapter 5 here, we're going to see how does he handle the immense success and popularity and promotion that he had. How is he going to influ- how is he going to handle his influence there? So this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to talk about three things. Number one, we're going to talk about the dangers of success. Hardly anybody talks about the dangers of success. Then we're going to talk about how is it that you sustain success when you have success, when you get the promotion, when you get the advancement, how do you sustain that? How do you maintain that? And then the last thing we're going to talk about is how do you give it away? If God gives you success, how do you give that success and that influence away for the benefit of others? Those are three things we're going to talk about this morning. So you have your notes there. Now, let me ask you a question. Begin this way. What do you think is more challenging, prosperity or adversity? Prosperity or adversity? How many people think prosperity is more challenging to deal with that? How many people think adversity is more? Come on, get them up. Get them up. I want to see vote. You think adversity is more difficult? Okay, one more time. Who thinks prosperity is more difficult to deal with? I almost 50-50 there. And so, and about 20% voted. And so, thank you for, for that responsiveness. I really appreciate that. And so, but adversity, adversity just knocks the wind out of you. Adversity just floors you. See, you have your critics. We talked about Nehemiah had his critics, had his opposition that he faced there. And so it can be suffocatingly painful. It can be so difficult there. It can crush you. It can steal your hope when you face adversity there. And so we all know how difficult seasons of adversity can be in our lives here. But what about promotion? What about popularity? What about privilege? What about when you become more visible? What about dealing with the whole deal of how difficult it is to manage success? How difficult is that? And you think about how it destroys people. You just look around the athletic world. Look at the professional athletes, how it destroys them. Look at the business world, how people are destroyed. Look at the, the uh, political world, how people are destroyed by that. It is, it is saturated in our culture how people are destroyed by prosperity and by success. It has been said that for every hundred people that can handle adversity, one person can handle success. So we all know the big challenges of prosperity and success. And you look in the Bible. 
Just look in the Bible and what do you see? God's people there, in the Old Testament there, at the height of their prosperity, under, say, Solomon, that's when they fell. When they're experiencing success and prosperity, and Solomon, the wisest king that ever lived and probably the wealthiest there, failed the test of prosperity. He failed. Greater people than us have failed the test. And then you look at David. David, this man that had a a legendary heart for God. And at the height of his prosperity, he fails God also. And so David failed the prosperity test also. And what about us? Like, how do you survive? How do you survive the dangers of success? How is it that you can handle success? A lot of people become arrogant. A lot of people become full of themselves. And then they set themselves up for failure, failure before God. So Nehemiah now is going to tell us how it is that you experience success and you can maintain that in a God-honoring way. I mean, who, who tells you that besides the scriptures here? And so what are the dangers of success? I'm going to give us four dangers of success. And then I'm going to give us four ways from the passages here how you maintain, how you sustain success. And so beginning, first of all, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14, he says, For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah. So he's got the promotion. He's got more power, more prestige, more influence. And your first point in your notes is this, is that success can bring privileges and perks. But those can set you up. Those can set you up to fail. So when Nehemiah takes over, he has food allotted to He's got like a big expense account. Nothing wrong with that. He earned it. But he didn't go like, yeah, I'm going to leverage this account. No, in fact, he doesn't even use the account. In fact, he uses it out of his own money. He's, he's paying to, to, for the people that are serving him, 150 of them, probably up to 500, that he's feeding them. So Nehemiah is so full of integrity that he doesn't leverage the perks here. Now, nothing wrong with perks, but it's what the perks can do to you. And so Nehemiah had more opportunities, more benefits, more freedom, more prestige. Okay, and now, and it's amazing that he doesn't use this to his own advantage. He said, I refuse to do that. So question, question to you, what about in culture today? What about in business world and government world and political world and all that. What in that world do people, do, do very many people act like Nehemiah when they get the expense account, when they get the promotion and they, they have that and they can leverage that? What do most people do? Most people would take advantage of it for their, and not serve the people like Nehemiah did. Well, I have a friend, a pastor friend, and, and he likes to, he loves to treat me more than any friend that I have. This one friend loves to treat me. He's very successful, has the biggest church in his city or the surrounding cities by far, maybe by 10 times. Big church. And, uh, and so he's a very successful guy and a, a humble and godly guy. I love him to death. He loves me. He loves his church and he loves to treat me to lunch. And who am I not to take the lunch, you know? So, hey, <laughs> it's a free lunch, baby. So, but when we go to the restaurant, when we go to the restaurant, he always does this. He says, right, right, right. And he says, right. Yeah, we'll look at the menu. He says, anything you want, just 
anything you want on the menu. Uh, I've, got an, I've got an expense account. He tells me this every time. I've got an expense account. And he says, no, keep, keep, it, keep your credit card. Put that away. I've, I've got an expense account. I didn't tell him, I've got an expense account too. But uh, I say, I've got an expense account. And so uh, I'm going to treat you any, anything you want on the, on the menu. I'll go ahead, anything you want. And so uh, I'm looking. I guess, yeah, anything you want. And so, uh, so I get to order anything I want. And so I love, I love how, just how he is with me. And so every single time, without exception, we eat at one place, like one place. We've never been anywhere else. It's called McDonald's, the Golden Archers. <laughs> Anything you want, Rod. You know, I'm beginning, I'm actually beginning to kind of like in and out. I mean, I like in and out. Beginning to like McDonald's a little bit more here. So, but uh, success can do this in your notes. It can cause you, it can bring drift with your integrity. It can cause integrity drift or entitlement there. And so with Nehemiah, no drift, no sense of entitlement, no arrogance, no full of himself, all that, even though he experienced great success. Look at verse 15 on the screens. That the former governors, in contrast, they had integrity drift. Okay? They laid heavy burdens on the people. They demanded a daily ration of food. See, they leveraged it all for their own gain, not for the, not for the people. Then they wanted cash. They wanted a little, get a little cash on the side there, 40 pieces of silver. And then they're even, they're even their assistants, taking advantage of the people. But see, with Nehemiah, no integrity drift. No entitlement there. See, he didn't govern like the former governors there. And so he didn't feast on taxing the people. He didn't rip off the people. Nehemiah said this. I love it. It's almost another message. But Nehemiah says, you know what? He says, the, the corrupt culture, it ends with me. This is great leadership. Great, great leadership principles here. It ends with me. And so he says, the compromise, it ends with me. And see, let me ask you a question. What's the number one reason people compromise? Why do they compromise? What do they say? Come on, what do they say? You, you've, heard it, you've heard it all your life. What do they say? Come on. What? Everybody's doing it, right, yeah. That's why people compromise. Could Nehemiah have done that? I mean, they were doing that on steroids. But Nehemiah doesn't say that. Nehemiah says, you know what, it ends with me. He doesn't have an entitlement. Oh, everybody is doing it here. See, he didn't play that game like people play. You can see why God used him in such an immense way because he didn't play the games of the, of the culture there. See, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. Just because you should do it doesn't mean it's right before God. And so Nehemiah had that. He didn't play the, well, everybody else is doing it game there. So, and you think about it. How easily could it be he could have been entitled? He could have been so easily entitled. He could have said, oh, if you only knew my pain, if you only knew the pain and the agony, what it was like. Or I went before King Artaxerxes and I was sad in my face. I could have lost my life for that. And then I spent four, four months, I was shut in with God, getting the plan there. And then I left, I left the sweetest gig on the planet. I was there in the posh palace there, Susha of Persia. And I left all of that. And I, I left my home. I embraced the unknown. I traveled 800 miles. So, and then I provided all the resources. I went out and got all the resources for the building of the wall. Yeah, God's hand was on me. He says, but he could have had a, a, a sense of entitlement. He could have given you all the reasons why uh, he was entitled. But you know what entitlement does? Here's, what, here's, here's how ugly that it is, uh, what it does to us. See, entitlement does this. It always overemphasizes me 
me and what, what I've done, okay, and underemphasizes what all the other people have done. She's very, it's very self-centered there. And so, uh, and it makes me feel like I'm better and I'm special. I'm just a little bit more than you and I'm a little bit bigger than you. I'm just, I'm, I'm bigger than you are. See, that's what entitlement does here. Uh, and so, um, rather than like Nehemiah here, what is he doing? He's taking everything God's given him and he's leveraging that, he's leveraging that to serve the people. And so another thing in your notes there that success can do that can damage you, the dark side of success, it can bring distractions. See, the danger of success is this. It can bring, it can bring distractions. So look at success brought to Nehemiah. And I don't know the distractions that you are faced with, but Nehemiah devoted himself to doing God's work. He served God. He served the people there. He did not in any way whatsoever there get distracted. Remember what he said uh, in, um, when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem were getting in his face. Remember what he said there? He said, hey, we're not going to come down off the wall. We're, we're not going to be distracted here. So that's Nehemiah's focal point there was God's work. And God's people. He was never distracted. But you think about it, success, it brings so much of trappings that come with success that we can be distracted. Didn't happen with Nehemiah. He remained focused on God and people. If you want to look at the screens on Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 17. He says, I, what, how, entitled, how lack of entitlement is this? I asked for nothing. I asked for nothing. He said he has no sense of entitlement. Even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table and all the visitors said, I paid for all this each day. So not a trace of entitlement. Remember who he is? He's the governor. And so this is who Nehemiah is here. And so he generously, I want us to see this. He had the opportunity to leverage an extravagant lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with that if God blesses you that way. But he had the opportunity to to leverage that. But what he did is that he instead became generous with what God gave him. I'm going to talk about that more later. Because he loves God, because he loves God's people here. And so Nehemiah, then he's just, he's practicing generosity. You can see why God just said, yes, he's the man for the job there. And so... The last danger of success I want to point out from Nehemiah's life is this, and that is that he didn't use people. He didn't use people. See, how easy is it, in your notes there, he didn't use people. How easy is it when you are successful and you have people around you that then you begin to use those people? Remember what he said, the former governors? He said not only were they corrupt, but all their assistants were corrupt. I mean, everybody's getting used here and using other people. So... Uh, so when you fall into the dangers of success, what can happen to you? What, is, what are you at risk of losing? All of this is coming to a grand point that I'm, I want to make here. There is a cost to it. When, when you fall into the dangers of success, the trappings of success, there is something that happens to you that you need to understand this morning. Because, see, the cost is you give up the single most important thing that you have. And what is that? That is your influence. That is your influence, your, your personal influence. So I want to unpack that for a moment because, see, influence can be a very hard thing to define, but when you lose it, 
you've, you've, you've lost it there. Now think about in your own life, people that have influenced you. Just scroll through your mind, through memory lane, people that have influenced you. I'm going to do the same thing. My father influenced me. Dr. John McGregor, uh, well, my mentor, had tremendous influence on me. Dr. John McGregor, uh, missionary to the Amazon jungle. Uh, another one um, uh, from Korea, Dr. Dick Nusma who I lived with for a summer, had great influence on me and the person, the, the choices and the person that I am today. Three people. There's one common denominator for all three of those people that have influenced me. And you know what that thing is? Is that their lives had alignment. Their life had alignment. In other words, what they said and what they did were the same thing. When people don't do and say the same thing, do they have influence on you? Are you going to let those kind of people influence you? No, no, you don't. You dismiss them. Like, yeah, they talk one talk, but they don't. My mom, you know what my mom used to say to me? She'd say, Rodney. My mom would call me Rodney. She'd say, Rodney, don't do as I do. Do as I say. And as a little kid, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I was smart enough as a little kid to think, are you kidding me? Mom, do, don't do as you do. Do as you say, and you're not going to do it. And so, uh, anyway, so I'm dismissive with her. And so when you, but when someone that you know, uh, that has influence on your life. Do they influence you because of their, their position, their prestige, maybe their education, maybe their accomplishments, maybe their income? Is that why they influence you? Or do they influence you because there's such alignment with what they say and what they do like Nehemiah here? See, what makes you uh, influential really is this one thing. It's when there's alignment in your life. When there's not this gap and this duplicity and this big space between you say one thing, you do one thing. People are like, no, that, that, yeah, that's a joke there. So having alignment with what you say and what you do is where your beliefs and your behavior are, are similar there, are, are consistent there. And so and nothing compensates for a lack of alignment. Nothing. doesn't matter how... Whatever you are, how, how charming you are, how much charisma you have, it doesn't make any difference there. And so if you, do you allow yourself to be influenced by people that don't have alignment? No, you don't. You don't allow yourself to be influenced by them. And so think of your parents. Now, you, you, growing up, your parents, or even now, if there's a big gap between what they say and what they do, they lose their influence on you. And so now I'm not talking about we got to be, you know, perfect and not make mistakes. I'm not talking about that at all. We must be people of grace and, and all. And so, uh, so we're not talking crazy. We're people of grace. We live by grace. But there must be alignment to have influence. There must be alignment to have influence. Think about it with your friends. Uh, if you're in college, you're in school, uh, if you, uh, your family, your spouse, your relatives, you have, to have, you have to have this alignment if you can have influence there. And think about this. How many people quit church? How many people don't want to go to church because they know somebody, they know some church leader there that doesn't have alignment? And they just look at the person, you know, you talk one talk, you talk one game, and you live another game. I don't, I don't want to go to your church. I, you know, and, I, and I see the, the, the leaders there. I don't want to be a part of that. So you see how, how, uh, how that can affect people. So all the talent, all the charisma in the world will not make up for a lack of alignment. And so Nehemiah had this alignment there. And so these are the dangers then 
of success, the dangers of the perks, the, the integrity drift, the entitlement there, the distractions, the using people, those things are all the dangers of success. And so I want to now switch here and talk about how is it then that you sustain success? I want to look at the same verses here that we just looked at, but look at them from a different angle now, the angle of how do you maintain, how do you sustain success when you have that there. And so you see the the power of, of, of Nehemiah's person there and their response to him. When he speaks to them and he, and he says, you know what, your, your economic plan there, it stinks there and it's ripping everybody off. And so, and the one reason he gives them the change there is not because he's the governor, not because of his persuasive uh, speaking, but just who he was. It says in the, 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 on the screens there, they had nothing to say to their defense when Nehemiah confronted them. And so when you see who Nehemiah is, he said, I feared God. I feared God. And so in your notes there, if you are going to sustain success, number one is you choose reverence, putting God first in your life. And so Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 15 there says, because I feared God. See, he chose reverence. He says, because I put God first in my life, because I did what was right in his eyes there. Because I wasn't about managing my government, governmental image there. No, no, no. Because when all was said and done between me and the Almighty, I feared God. I, re- I revered God. So he says, I didn't act that way. So this is what we do. Because when God gets first place in your life, so many, so many of the decisions and questions are answered there because you're going to do what is right in God's eyes. Nehemiah continues, says, I devoted myself. See, he has intense ownership. He doesn't have a rock star mentality. He says, I devoted myself to working on the wall. And I refused to acquire any land. Why? Because they were all broke. People are broke. They're bankrupt. So he's not going to leverage the opportunity to acquire land there. He says, this God, remember now all that I've done for these people and keep blessing me. And so Nehemiah was personally committed to this vision here to rebuild the wall, but not at the expense of the people there. So now I want to, I want to pause for a moment. I want to talk about one of the greatest challenges uh, in the journey there in your lifetime when you will have challenging moments where you'll, you'll reach a crossroad, you will reach a turning point in serving God, serving his purpose there. When God gives you a dream, God gives you a vision, God gives you a mission. You know, this is what I need. This is what my life needs to be about here. But the time will come when you will be confronted with, do I put God first? Or do I just kind of do the mission vision thing first there? There'll be time. So let me explain that. Abraham in Genesis. And Abraham was called by God in Genesis chapter 12. There, God gave him a, a, a dream, a vision, a mission. He said, Abram, Abraham, Originally called Abram, he said, said, I'm calling. He said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. He said, and all the earth is going to be blessed through you. In other words, the Messiah is going to come through you. So no pressure, no, no pressure, no pressure there, Abraham. And so he says, my plan is to restore humanity, to restore humanity back to God through the child that's going to come through you. And so I'm going to redeem and to save the world through you, through your son. 
And so then fast forward 10 chapters later in Nehemiah, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 22. And there God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now he's a teenager in whom all the promises of God laid there. And there, that's the dream. That's the vision. Okay, that's the mission right there in Isaac, his son. And he says, take your son whom you love. He said, and go up to the mount there and sacrifice him. And so, and so before he's ready to sacrifice his son, God calls time out. And he says, now I know what? That you fear, that you revere me. And so it was that obedience, that trust in God, that that moment came when he's fulfilling the dream, fulfilling the mission, where he had to choose there, to choose to trust God and not just run with the dream and the vision how he thought he was supposed to. He had to obey God. So, but see, first of all, he sustained his success, Nehemiah, because he revered, because he feared God, because he did what was right in God's eyes there. And so he trusted God. He chose alignment between what he said and what he did here. So now I want to give another example of the power of alignment. I want to give the example of a diminutive uh, little woman, little tiny woman here, whose, whose example and the power of example was so towering, so profound, that she gained an audience with, with the most powerful people in America. And that, of course, is Mother Teresa here. And so you may know her story there that the Hindu priest there in India, and I've been to these places, and it's just and it's absolutely so oppressive. But the Hindu, the Hindu priests there are trying to oppress her and trying to legally get her out from their area there in Calcutta. And so then they surrounded the, they surrounded the village and, uh, and where she was at her encampment there. And so, and they threatened to kill her. And this little diminutive woman walks out with all these Hindu priests there. And she says, you want to kill me? She says, here I am. She says, just don't you touch my people. Don't you touch my patients, but go ahead. You kill me. And they were just like stunned, you know. They were stunned by, by the power of, the, of, the, uh, of this little woman there. And so one of the priests then, the Hindu priest, contacted TB. And so one of the priests was there, wanted to kill her. And so he later can, contracts that. And you can't be in, a, in, a, in, a, in an Indian hospital. So he ends up there and she cares for this Hindu priest until he died. The power of alignment. See, then she got the opportunity to speak before um, the president, the judges, the senators, the congressmen, the delegates uh, in America years ago. 3,000 of them. And she gets up on a little box. She's so little. She gets up on a little box there. There's a little woman there. And she begins to speak to them on social issues, you know, which everybody has strong opinions on the social issues. And you know what she did? Little Mother Teresa, she punches them in the mouth. Not literally, but with her words. She's punching them in the mouth. They're, they're just sitting in stunned silence as she's speaking to them. And so, and she said this. She said, I went to one of your nursing homes. And she said, and, said, and I saw the old men and I saw the old women in your, your nursing homes there. And she said, sitting with every American comfort imaginable. She said, not one of them I visited, and not one of them had a smile on their face. She says, rather, you know what they were doing? They were all sitting there, and they were looking at the door, and they were hoping that a son or a daughter would emerge from the door, and no one ever did when I was there. She began to speak to them about the issues in America, the 
polarize our country about the poor and abortion and abandonment and the sick and the dying in America. And she's just punching them in the face about the social issues in America. And she said this, and I quote, she said, any nation that accepts the treatment of the poor and the abandoned, the sick and the dying, the way that you do, she said, is not teaching its people to love one another. And she got off her box. She walked away. And they sat there, sat there in stunned silence. The most powerful people in America, because of a little woman, had alignment in her life, gave her the platform to speak before them. You see the power of alignment there. And so, uh, so Nehemiah there had alignment in his life, and therefore he had influence. She's looking verse uh, 14, uh, 15, 16. He said, For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, neither I nor my officials, we drew on our our official food allowance, like the former governors did, said, but because I feared God, I didn't act that way. I devoted myself to work. So he says, look, I didn't milk the expense account there. I didn't do insider training. I chose to serve the people. Uh, what does it speak of in your notes there is character. Nehemiah had character. And what is character? The letting God define what is right. Letting God define for you what is right for your life. It's willing to do what is good, what is best, what is loving in God's eyes, regardless of the personal cost to me there. So he chose character. You know, with, uh, with, my, with my own family, I always try to do the right thing. I try to do the right thing. And I, make, I make lots of mistakes, but I do try. I can say before God that I try to do the right thing. So one of the things, the most important things that, that I could teach my kids is that they would be generous. They would just be generous people. They'd be generous with their lives. They'd be generous with their time. They'd be generous with their serving. And they'd be generous with their resources. That's what I really want for them. And so, but I also recognize that if there's not alignment in my life, I'll never have any influence over them. And so, but I have never, but I have never acted the way I act to try to, to influence them directly this way. So it's indirect is what I'm saying here. And so, but, they, but they've seen my life. They've seen my life. Uh, they've, they've, I've done missions with them. They, they, they've heard stories, but, but I, don't, I don't like hammer them with things that I've done or, or, uh, in any way. But, um, but they've seen me live a life of generosity. They have seen that. They've witnessed that. So, and I've been able to influence them to differing degrees in ways that mean so much to me because of alignment, because of alignment uh, in my life, of putting God's first. And, and so and how I've wanted to influence them in the area of them being generous with their lives, I have influenced them. And I'm now beginning to see that I, that I, that I have, to different degrees, but that I have influence in their life. And so one of my sons, that, just for example, uh, uh, is that um, just this week he got a job, just this very week. He started on Monday. He just, college grad, just got out. And he told me, he says, Dad, he said, Dad, he said, when I get my first paycheck, you know what I want to do? I says, what, what do you want to do? He says, I want to give $300 to Uganda, to Njinja, to a school there in Uganda. And I want to support somebody. He's 22. So he says, I want to do that. The first, first time I get a check, Dad, and he didn't say like, because Dad, I've seen you do it or anything. But I know that, I know that there's influence that he's seen uh, with his dad's generosity. He says, this is what I'm going to do. The first check I get, I'm going to start supporting this mission here. 
And then, um, and, then, and then for Father's Day, I debated whether to share this, but I'm just going to go ahead and share it. Uh, last week, I uh, got a Father's Day card, and, and, said, and, it, and I'm quoting this. And my, another son said, Dad, thanks for being a good influence on me. And he said, I appreciate your generosity, and I hope to be as giving as you are one day. Thanks for being a strong follower of the Lord despite the strong influence of the world we live in today. So I'm just saying that this is the power of influence, but it doesn't happen unless there's some alignment. Again, I'm not talking about perfect or anything like that. Uh, We are imperfect people and there's grace there, but I'm just saying the general thrust of your life is that what you believe and how you behave are consistent there. And so there's alignment there between what you say and, and what you do there. And so Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14, he says, But I refused to claim the governor's allowance again. He chose to sustain his success, sacrifice there. He chose sacrifice. It was always about the people there. He said, this is what I did, and I did this for a long time. I I fed the people. I I sacrificed personally to make that happen. And then again, it says, and I did this in verse 14, for 12 years, an entire 12 years, while I was governor of Judah. So he chose the long-term plan of persistence. See, he, he was sustained in, in this. This sustained his success. And so here's a question I have for you as, I, as I'm, I'm ready to wrap this up. I'm ready to wrap this up. Here's a question I have for you. Can influence be lost? Can it be lost? How fast can it be lost? Can it be lost fast? Can it be lost? Look at me, look at me. Everybody look at me. Can it be lost like this? Can be lost like that? Everybody put your hands together. Go ready like this. We're going to do it on the count of three. One, two, three. That's how fast it could be lost. It could be lost in a moment. Influence. Think about it. Let me ask you another question. Can it be regained? Can influence be regained? Yeah, it can be regained, can't it? And so, so you can lose influence fast, but also you can regain that. And how do you do that? Because of what is true about your life. You lose it when you don't have alignment, but you regain it when you do. Can we agree on that? Is that true? You lose it when you don't have alignment. You regain it when you do here. So think about, think about it in the Bible, Zacchaeus. I want to illustrate this for you. Zacchaeus here. So in Luke 19, one day Zacchaeus announced that Jesus had forgiven him. And he said this, I realize I've abused you. I've abused everything as a tax collector. I've cheated many of you. I'm sorry for that. I ask for your forgiveness. Are you going to forgive him? How many people are going to forgive him? Tough crowd, tough crowd. About 10% are going to forgive him. Okay, tough, tough crowd. And so he cheated you. Maybe you're not going to forgive him, but is he going to have influence in your life? No, he's going to have no influence. Okay, then, then watch what happened with, with him. And so then what happens is because of what Jesus has done in my heart, then he said this, I'm going to give half of everything I have back to the poor. He said, and all you people I cheated, I'm going to give you four times what I cheated you with. I'm going to give it back to you four times. Now, is he beginning to gain a little bit of, of, of influence again in your life when he gives you four times? Yeah, yeah. see, because now what? He's got alignment. Got alignment in his life. Now he's going to have influence again there. And so, um, and so uh, we see the power of that. So I just say parents in closing uh, f- with our family, with our friends here, we just need to go Zacchaeus. We need to go Zacchaeus 
on people if, we, if we've lost a little bit of our influence there. We just need to go Zacchaeus on them there. You just need to own what you did. Just own it. And then like Zacchaeus did and pay the cost to get it back. And so if you're going to teach, like I talked about my own kid, my own children, uh, my dream is that they'd be generous. If you want to treat them to be generous, it's got to be real in your life. It's got to be real for you. And so they will become who, who you are, not just what you talk about. And so, and think about it. Just think about it. Think about the culture in which we live. Who teaches this? Does teacher, does, does culture teach generosity? of life, the greatness of that. No, no one does. They might teach, you know, throw a couple dollars here or there. But, but no one really teaches, teaches putting God first and, and really living a life generosity. That's something that, that, you, that you teach by your life. And you can go Zacchaeus on them. So in closing here, we've talked about the four dangers of success. We've talked about four dan- or the four ways that you can sustain success in your life. And lastly, I leave you with this. The greatest privilege you have with your success is this, is to give it away, to give it away, to give it away, to give away your influence there. So how do you give away your influence and success for the benefit of others? It's true greatness of life. Nehemiah chapter seven, verse one. After the wall was finished, after it's finished, doesn't have a big celebration, but what he does is he says, he appoints, he empowers gatekeepers, singers, and Levites who were appointed. And then he gives the responsibility to those that fear God. So why does he appoint gatekeepers? He's, he's doing something very practical here. He's like a security team here. He's protecting their economic security. There's what he's doing, their economic prosperity, protecting there. Okay, got to protect everything. Got it done, but now we got to protect it. But then he shifts his thinking. He says, now it's not enough about the wall. Now we got to get to the people, and he's going to give away his success. Watch what he does here. Says then the next thing he does here he says says he appoints a group of singers. Does that surprise anybody? Does that surprise anybody? He says no. We're going to we're going to appoint some worship people. We're going to get some worship going. Worship matters to God here. Worship leaders, you know, cause us to our hearts to be anchored in who God is and what God has done with all that we are. And they lead us that way. So let's get the singers going here. They said, this is the one thing you were created by God to do. Get the singers going here. The wall is built and we're safe. But now our hearts need to break out in praise and worship and honor to God. So he says, look, and this is what we do on Sundays. We have about, in a week, we have 10,000 in 80 minutes. 10,000 in 80 minutes is your week. That means you get about 80 minutes here. Right here, we have you for 80 minutes, hoping to prepare our hearts for the other 10,000. And that's what we do every week. 80 minutes to prepare you for the other 10,000. So we worship. We try to inspire people to respond to God. But I want you to notice something here. Then he gets to the Levites. Those are the teacher types. Okay, like me, teacher types. But who preceded the teacher type? The worship. The worshipers. So just think about that. You know, you want to get here on time to worship God. God makes his priority. The Levites are last here, but God empowers them, empowers them to instruct, to encourage the people. And so we are going to pray and then we are going to worship and then we're going to go. All right. So if you want to bow your heads with me, Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord that your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our paths. 
Thank you, Lord, for someone that would speak to us about what it is and what it means, what it means to be successful before you, how to sustain that, how to honor you with that, and how to give that away. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.